Today on The Breakdown, Vladimir Troyanovsky, Martin Cabrell. These are two names you don't always hear on The Breakdown, but it's Thanksgiving, Grant. And you know what? We're going to give thanks for high rollers and the tough position sometimes people are put on on the bubble in high rollers because that's what this hand is all about. And we're going to talk about it right now on The Breakdown with Grant Dennison and Jonathan Levy. Let me get this clear. We're giving thanks for being in a tough position on the bubble. <laughs> We're giving thanks. There's to so, other... so many better things to give thanks for. <laughs> We're giving thanks that other people are in those positions and we get to talk about it. Oh, isn't that isn't that reasonable? Yeah. Like if poker was lots of easy decisions, we wouldn't exist, bro. We just blink out. So Live out. That's what I would say. So we do have plenty of listeners who are not American. So maybe we yeah. should be clear about something. Thanksgiving. Oh my gosh! Yes, is an American holiday <laughs> where we celebrate race, racism. Essentially, um, no, race relations. Yes, I think is what it is oh. more than racism. Oh, it feel, it's a little bit both. Although we don't really think of it that way anymore. It's just sort of become this. Let's be grateful to each other and pretend it's not about race stuff. And pretend, but it was. Pretend it's not about that time that we. The I white, mean, the white settlers sat, sat down with the Native Americans and d- began the destruction of their culture. I mean, whatever they were trying to be friendly. Like, that's cool. (laughs) Anyway, let's not get too deep into that. By the way, if you want to know more about Thanksgiving, feel free to Google it. (laughs) The Wikipedia page is surprisingly detailed. I'll tell you what. I just spent a few hours on there really updating a lot of the... Oh, did you? you? Some of the stuff. Yeah, there's there's always these kids get on. They think they know a lot about the old tea gives, as I like to call it. Let's be honest. You just went in there and put in your ancestors as like heroes of Thanksgiving. I mean, not all of them and not all of them. I would I think heroes is a word that other people should use, not someone who's related to the people. I prefer to just think of them as leaders of Uh Thanksgiving, like, you know, commanders of Thanksgiving. (laughs) Gotcha. You know, um, generals, if you will. But commanders uh, like heroes is a word that is for others to to say, not me. I wouldn't say heroes, and I wouldn't say heroic. So you'd say commanders. I think commanders like, is pretty like good. Like in The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> Not all commanders are like that, Grant. And in this case, they were very friendly. And if you, if you were to read the extremely detailed and long Wikipedia entry, you would understand what I mean. But <laughs> well, no, some people don't have the time We for don't that. have time. We're, this is a podcast format. People want to listen to stuff. They don't want to read stuff. Well, you know what? And you know what? You won't get to see stuff. Usually, we release a breakdown video yes. on Thursday. But because of this American holiday of Thanksgiving, we will not be doing that. There will be two videos next week instead, one on Monday, one on Thursday. Yes. Uh, There'll be, you know, revelry and, and eating instead Yes, video being released. But, but as Grant said, we're making up for it. There'll be one on Monday and uh, Thursday next week, so don't you worry about it. Yeah. So we are on the bubble of a 25K euro buy-in high roller. That is a serious bubble. You know? I mean, it's a serious bubble depending on how much, you're, uh, how much you have uh, in the old piggy bank. This is always, it's always what you'd say. No, it's true, though, right? I mean, for some people, it's not a serious bubble. Bill Perkins doesn't care at all about the bubble. Right? It's a more serious bubble than a lesser bubble. It's one of the more serious bubbles in poker. How about that? I mean, okay, whatever. Does that sound okay to you? It's fine. I don't care. <laughs> no, <laughs> of course I care. And in fact, the bubble dynamic is hugely important in this hand. And it's all about what this hand is all about. Right. This hand is entirely about the bubble dynamic, probably more than any other hand we've done. I think it. I think that's right. We never did the amazing high roller 100K buy-in where Mike McDonald had a blind and a half. And Paul, yeah. Paul Newey moved in for half a blind under the gun. And Mike McDonald had king, queen, and a blind and a half and found a fold. 
because he knew, knew he was getting called in two spots and probably going to get eliminated. Well, to do a true breakdown of that one, we would have had to break out the spreadsheets and it would have been awesome. It would have been one yeah. day, one day. All right. But anyway, well, this is a fun bubble hand anyway. Yeah, it's cool. And it's, uh, we picked it. It was suggested by the way, by Staffen Ryden. Thank you, Staffen. Yeah. Staffen. Nice job. Doesn't sound American. Probably doesn't know what Thanksgiving is. Probably has no clue. And probably now feels like he's learned a lot. Thanks yeah. to my Wikipedia entry. Yeah. He probably paused the podcast, went over to the old Wikipedia. And you know, like it's cool. You go over there, you read it four hours later. You feel like you really know a lot about the holiday. Yeah. You really, there's, I made some videos, just personal videos about it as well. Feel free to click on those. Watch well, those. well worth it. Also, my sponsor is Colgate. Use Colgate. It's good <laughs> for your teeth. Sorry, I had to work that in because. Of course. You know, it's for the Thanksgiving I get it. Stuff. It's a business. <laughs> it's a business. Okay. We're going to be done with that now. Okay. Um, all right. So the reason we picked it, it's not a hand that has like the biggest fireworks of all time or anything, no. but it is so instructive about bubble play and it's something that people people find themselves in these spots all the time on the bubble and it's hard to know how to navigate them and and uh, you know i i even said to jonathan because we don't think one of the players does a great job in this hand yeah uh i found myself in spots on the bubble where i take half measures because i don't want to do the thing that looks so stupid of folding the good hand but i also don't want to bust on the bubble and you know everybody does it good players do it too of it's, course it's just a it's a hard time to play a medium-sized stack Absolutely. And I mean, I'm actually looking forward to doing this show, not because it's instructive for others, but because I hope to learn more about the bubble and figure more stuff out as we talk about it, quite frankly. Uh, I'm sure there's stuff we're going to hopefully get to some insightful stuff that we'll be able to use. Or at least I'll be able to use. And I look forward to that. All right. So we have this hand beginning. It's 300K big blind. And we have Martin Cabrell, who has over 50 blinds. He's got 16.3 million, which is one of the bigger stacks in the room. Who is Martin Cabrell? Is that like, who is Jason Bourne? Sure. Yeah, you don't want to ask the question. If you have to ask the question, <laughs> it's a problem. That's true. But for those who don't know, he's the number three all-time uh, money winner on the uh, Czech Republic list. Okay. That's who Martin Cabral is. He did it. He's won some stuff. Yep. All right. Prague is beautiful. I love it. I there. hear. It's lovely. In the summer. Uh, I've been there in the spring. It was nice. I was not there oh, in the summer. I you don't missed know. out. Yeah. I have actually a, a quite detailed Wikipedia page on Prague in the summer. As okay. Well. well, maybe we, we'll talk about that later. Have I mentioned Colgate? <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about all of that later. So Cabral, with one of the bigger stacks in the room, has King Nine of Diamonds under the gun. I assume this is not in his normal under the gun opening range. I but assume. On the bubble, when you have one of the bigger stacks, this is this is a time to abuse the bubble. Yeah, this is a totally reasonable open in this exact spot. Right. This dynamic is important, of course. It you you could decide if there's other stacks who are fighting back against you. Um, especially other big stacks to just not play this hand under the gun, but it's super reasonable to open here. And in fact, I wouldn't call it mandatory, but I would call it if you've got a big stack and a bit of a, uh, I'm a fox and I steal things kind of attitude, you are probably ought to be opening this hand. Yeah. So um, I want to talk a little bit more about bubble abuse, like okay. like this type of bubble abuse. Cool. It makes me think back to uh, the circuit event we went to in Tahoe. So there was a tournament that both Jonathan and I final tabled. And on the bubble of that tournament, or, you know, like the, the nine players leading to the bubble, you know, we're, we're approaching the bubble on my right was unfortunate. It was unfortunate for me, but luckily he was on my right was uh, a guy named Scott. He finished 13th in the world series of poker main event this year. So very, very good, very capable player. He had a big stack and he did the most obvious bubble abuse I've ever seen in my life. Over the course of an hour and a half, he opened, I think all but one hand. That is insane. All but one hand. And I was directly on his left. It was me, another capable guy on my left, and another capable guy over there, and then the rest of the table were kind of fishy. 
But the other two capable guys didn't three bet him once hmm. over the course of two hours. We all knew what he was doing. We all yeah. saw it, but it's so effective even when they're capable players on your left and they know what you're doing because the bubble is such a huge inflection point until the final table. It's usually the biggest thing that matters. I three, I think I three bet him eight times over the course of two hours, which is like way less than I would have expected to. If you told me that scenario was going uh, to occur, right, if he's going to open every hand because I had like 30 blinds, you know, it wasn't like I was in huge trouble if I three bet and it didn't get through. Mm-hmm. I was the only one who ever three bet him. That's crazy. It was crazy how effective it was. Did you ever? Did cap- you ever have anything? Uh, once. Mm. Yeah, but against capable opponents, I was the only capable opponent who decided to three bet him, and I didn't do it as often as I thought I would. Right. He was opening literally every hand. He's supposed to see that the three of you are on his left and see your stacks and just think it's not worth opening very much and and have a tighter type range in theory. Yes. But I guess he goes the step past that, which is, eh, are you really gonna let's maybe he starts by saying, let's see if these guys are really gonna fight back. Yeah. And he felt like getting three bet eight times over two hours if he plays every hands is a perfectly acceptable result. Like, yeah, I assume he, he just folded every time. He right? certainly chipped up insanely yeah. during that time. Did he just fold every time he three bet? Yes. Never once did, did he continue. Which hand. is interesting, right? Because yeah. at some point he could decide to fight back if he sees you three betting that much. But maybe just feels like it's a fair tax yeah. to pay because you and him get to chip up. Like, you get to do a little better than break even and he gets to win everything else and he doesn't have to risk a lot. And... It's a good deal. And as soon as anyone else starts doing it too, then he either has to shut down or four bet once in a while. But that's, it's, it's so far. It's just, it was, it's really cool. Yeah. I feel like I learned something there in that I learned that going back to step one is okay here. Like step one, what's the most obvious thing to do when you have a big sack on the bubble? Yeah. Open every hand, but you can't do that because everybody's going to see it. Everyone no, knows and they're going to fight. It doesn't back. matter. Go back to step one. Yeah. Like, they're, they're not going to, maybe fight there back. are some tables where it's not going to work, but this table, which was definitely one of the tougher tables in the tournament. It worked. Yeah, I mean, I remember, remember back when they were on the World Series of Poker main event final table bubble, and Joe McKeon was the big chip leader, and he opened something like seventy to seventy five percent of hands, and Negreanu was at that table. Yeah, you know, with with like twenty blinds, like sort of a perfect between fourteen and twenty blinds, I think the whole time, and he just opened every pot pretty much, and it worked fine. He also stayed out of marginal situations almost to a fault, I would say, from when we watched the uh, the broadcast of it, but. It worked just fine, and he chipped up anyway, and it was no problem, even with a guy like Negreanu, who's not supposed to care. But now, granted, it's not just like a bubble, right? It's, it's the fi- World Series of Poker main event yeah. final table. Everybody cares. Negreanu really cares. But Ke- McKean's not supposed to get away with that in that spot, I think, to the degree that he did either. There were also a bunch of capable players at that table. Of course. A bunch of guys who shouldn't be afraid of the money. And like Negreanu, uh, Negreanu could look at it the other way, like, you know what? I'm the famous guy. I don't need the TV time. Like I'm not going to, I'm going to like try and, you know, chip up right now. And like, I could put myself in position to win the tournament if I play this next section. Well, but that's not what he did. He did what everybody does. And what you, what you and the the two players here left it, although you did fight back some, don't get me wrong, but which is like sort of shrink up more than fight back. And I understand I do the same thing a lot in these spots. And it's, it's really interesting how we can sort of have one theory about how we're supposed to behave. But when we actually get there, even when the buy-in is not super large, right? Like, cause that's the thing, like this tournament that we both final table, it's the, uh, in case you're wondering the WSOP monster stack. It was, it was only a 365 buy-in. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a circuit event monster stack. I mean, we still did pretty well. Uh, I finished fourth grant finished third. We made reasonable cash and all, but, um, but right. It's not like that bubble 
changes our lives in any way. It's a meaningless bubble to us in terms of that. And I don't care if I cash or not. I mean, I care, but I don't care. You know what I, I mean? I mean, I care. It's like a $700 bubble, which is like... I mean, sure. It's, it, I wouldn't be thinking about it now if I had bubbled, though. It's like, it's not a big deal. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like, of course you care. And of course, you don't want to just do something stupid and not make your $700 when you can sort of cruise to it. At the same point, you don't want to do something that makes it hard. Like, you, you don't want to give up obvious plus EV spots, right? Because yeah. we, you and I don't need that money, and you and I don't need that cash. Like, meaning the, the, to know we cash, right? right? We're just trying to play well. But, of course. But it even affects us in those spots, which seems sort of crazy. And it, it is a testament, I think, to the power of, like, the paradigm of sort of, like, the money is important. And, you know, and, like, I'm this cl- I played all this time, and I'm this close, and I don't want to do something stupid and then regret it later, and, I, you know, what, whatever else we think about there, you know? Yeah. So... That was just so crazy to me to see the capable players continue to fold. Like I, I thought, like yeah. sometimes I'm going to fold, and like you get to three bet this time, yeah. and it never happened. Like even after the guy on my left busted, who was probably he might he might might have been better than me as well. I think this guy Scott was better than me for sure. And Scott finishing 13th in the main event, I had a lot of respect for this guy Scott. He played amazingly well. He has a huge resume. Besides that, when that guy busted, he said that guy is really good. I think he's better than me. And really, that guy never three bet Scott. That's like, really weird. It's crazy. Really weird. What's happening? You just, I don't know. That's a really good question. I don't know if we can figure that out, but why don't we take two minutes right now and actually try and get into the heads. We've been in these spots and you, of course, you know, get into the head of the players who are not the, the razor, you know? So like what's going on that we find folds more than we should in the, on, in these bubble spots. I'm trying to remember because yeah. I know I was consciously aware of what was happening and that's why i was the one who three bet eight times and i felt like it was not enough like yeah i should have I, I at one point i was kind of playing all right i'm just gonna three bet them the next three times and see what happens really but i just never did it right. i just never did it you know right. that was going through my head though this yeah this reminds me i've done that many times in my life not just in poker but in life it's like i'm gonna do this thing that's a little scary to do yeah and i tell myself i'm gonna do it and i really mean it and then when time comes to do it i sometimes deliver and sometimes don't you know yeah. and it's like and i don't really know why i sometimes do and sometimes don't i just like have the courage sometimes and don't have the courage other times you know right so i guess what's going through my head in that moment when i'm deciding not to three bet three times in a mm-hmm. row instead is sure this cash isn't gonna change my life in any way and i'm not gonna remember it like in two days if i end up bubbling with a 30 blind stack when i could have easily cruised there but I don't want to be that dumb guy who had a 30 blind stack and yeah. could have easily cruised there. Like, what am I doing? I can get to pass the bubble with 25 blinds and still be in perfect shape to make the final table. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely a fine line to walk here, right? When you're in these spots of not wanting to be the dumb guy. But I think the fear of being the dumb guy is so powerful that it makes us sort of become the dumb guy the other way. Yes, I agree. You know what I mean? And like, it's probably better to be the dumb guy who busts on the bubble than be the dumb guy who, who like lets us, doesn't take advantage of the bubble as much as he should over time, you know, over like over 10 years of, of tournament play. Right. Absolutely. So I think, and maybe it's just because of this thing of like, we're the dumb guy and we can feel like the, I didn't have the money that I could have had. And look, I made the money that I, like I did it. You know, that yeah. feeling of when you make the, you, you make the money and there's like the littlest bit of relief, unless you have a really big stack and you knew you were going to make it and there's nothing to think about. It's like, cool, we did it. Okay, great. And it isn't like the big celebration because you know you have other things you're trying to win, but it's like, I did it. Great. Yeah. You know, and now there's nothing, now I don't have to worry about that because the money jumps are not interesting for a really long time. I can go back to whatever I was doing. Yeah. But, but that, but as whenever you're playing non-optimally, you're, you're giving away money basically, right? You're handing you're handing over cash i think the lesson here is once people start noticing the bubble or Mm -hmm. thinking that about it coming up like whenever that may be in the tournament that's when you start just 
if you have at least a medium stack, just pounding away and, and see how it goes. If it doesn't work out, you know, slow down. But yeah, give it a shot. If you feel like people are tightening up, I think it's really like there's so much to be gained. He had two full hours of that. I, I will say something else, too. Having been the guy where I tried to abuse bubbles, certainly in the past, and tried just to abuse final table bubbles and just final tables and money jumps and all that, certainly, as I'm sure you have many times as well. I think I'm also, and it's the same mindset, ultimately, like I get people fight back a little bit and then I assume because I fold that it means everyone thinks now I'm just going to fold and it's open season on me. So then I tighten up. I think right. like I need to tighten up and I open less hands instead of what this guy did, which is you, you three bet him eight times and he just kept opening anyway and figures, cool, you're not going to do it next time. Probably, you yeah. know, like, and if you do, you're not going to do it the time after that. And, you know, seeing them more as less as an iterated situation that because, because the moment is so big for people, you know? Right. So I think that's part of it too. So on both sides, I feel like I probably haven't been, as op, op playing optimally. And I, it's time to do that. Like I'm, I'm saying for myself, I'm just sort of, this is what I was talking about. Like some insightful stuff. Like, like it's time just like, cool. I got three bet twice in a row by that guy. I'm going to open again because he's probably not going to three bet me a third time. And it's unlucky if he does, yeah. you know, like most of these guys aren't going to do it without a hand. Right. And I, even when they take a chance, they're not, they're not going to keep. Bluffing. I agree. I mean, I always chose like blockers or, of course. or we were in late position. Sometimes no blockers, but we were in really late just position. like go away. Yeah. You can't have it. Right. Well, what was your sizing? It was pretty big. So he would make it two point. He would make it two. He always min open. Oh, okay. And I would make it so it was three six most of the time. So if he made it twelve k, I was usually making it thirty two k in position, forty k out of position. Yeah. So six xing in position. Yeah. So like he has to kind of have a hand to continue or decide to be like, all right, screw you, kid. Not this right. time. He has to have yeah. something reasonable at yeah. least to continue. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not making it like 25K over his 12K. That's not right. going to happen. And you only have 30 blinds. So he can't like play speculative hands too much against you yeah. out of position when the pot's already going to be that big, which it's actually sort of a 30 blind stack is actually a really nice stack to do that with right. against a thinking player who understands what's going on. Another thing up. I did, by the way, is taking a cue from him. I opened 100% under the gun. Because really? that was the only time he didn't get to open. Oh, because he was in the big blind. Yeah. And did, and did he call you or did he just He fold? called me every time and <laughs> I was lucky he missed every flop. I oh, guess. yeah. He folded every flop. But it was like, because I saw what he was doing. I was like, well, when he doesn't open, I guess I'll open. And yeah. that never happened yeah. except when you were under the yeah. gun. <laughs> that is funny. I know the feeling of that, but it is interesting where it's like, yeah, the relief of like, oh, good. That guy didn't open. I get to open now. I know I get to steal the blinds, yeah. but you only get to do it when you're in the worst position. I know. That's but funny. it worked out. It worked out fine. That's great. So I'll wrap this up soon, but quickly, I know you don't have any time to think about this. Yeah. We got a lot of hands in because it was mostly raise and take it, right? So over the two hour period, I'm three, but eight times, which is probably not enough. How many times do you think I should have? Well, let's try and figure out how many times do we think he actually opened, and then we'll come up with this. So I'm going to say it was probably at least, it was probably about a hand a minute. Now, did we, when we got to the stone bubble, then it was, uh, they were stopped the clock, and we yeah. went hand for hand, of course. Yes. Um, so are you including that as well? Although we didn't last too long on the bubble, I don't think. I think it was only like 10 or 15 minutes. Right. I am including that. Okay. So that's going to slow it down a little yeah. bit. Uh, Maybe 80 to 90 hands. That sounds like, okay, let's call it 90 hands. You are, how much are you supposed to be three betting? All right, well, if we do a normal, th- normal three betting ranges for you, yeah. first of all, you're probably supposed to be three betting him something like, I'm just going to throw this number out like 12 to 15% of the time, something like that. If we include, because he's going to be opening every, every time in late position. Yeah. Also, you're aware his range is as wide as it could ever right. be. So it's, 
So, so, so you're definitely supposed to be doing it more than 12 to 15% of the time. So like a quarter of the time? The only problem is you have people behind you, right? right? Um, so I think you're... I, but if they're all going to just run away every time, which means like, what are they going to forebet with? I mean, like, they have it if they forebet. I mean, not only do they have it, they're like, what are they doing with two tens when it goes bet raise? They may just fold two tens if they're folding everything anyway. The capable right? players probably weren't. But okay. Yeah. But there's only two of those guys, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, fine. And they may not, they're not going to love it with two tens. They may get it in, but they're not going to love it. No, they're not. And they're probably going to just fold two eights. Yeah. It's not worth it with two eights, right? Like, yeah. uh, it's just a flip, and you're going to have it sometimes when you three bet, even if yeah. you're three betting 20 to 25% of the time. If you're doing it 20% of the time, that means you're going to end up winning something like, assuming he folds every time, which is maybe isn't fair. He's not going to fold okay. every time. Of, he, of, of course, course he had a hand sometimes. Of course, of course. Yeah. Um, but it means you're playing. You're playing against him like 16 times or 18 times or something mm-hmm. like that in position, and he's going to have a hand, you know, that he can really continue with something like two or three of those times. So you're going to take it down probably most of the time. You take it down like 80% of the time, I would think, right? So we think right I should away. have three bet like 18 times instead of eight times? <sighs> I mean, it's so hard to actually do that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it, it is. so hard. Uh, if we look at it from the math of just how much are you winning... Right. So you so he makes it two. You get to win three and a half plus the antes. I don't know if that's necessarily true though. Why? The, it it creates a different scenario where he might just four bet shove on me with blockers sometimes if I start doing it of that course. frequently. Because he course. has a stack that he can it's gonna hurt him if, if he loses thirty binds, but he could afford it. I mean if you start three betting him twenty to twenty five percent of the time, I yeah. think if he has ace four suited, he's gonna four bet you all in. Yeah. That's gonna happen. So no, I was trying to figure out from a different point of view, like he raises to two. There's a big blind. There's a small blind. That's three and a half blinds plus the antes. That's usually another blind. So let's call it four and a half blinds. If you three bet, let's say ten times out of ninety, that means you're going to pick up forty five blinds, right? And it's going to cost. You're going to make a little bit of money. Yeah. Over time, if you just three bet ten times and don't open anything else. Yeah. Right. So. That's a good starting place, at least, right? So we were saying 20% of the time. So 10% of the time feels like mandatory yeah. to like charge him if he's doing something so obvious, right? right. Um, and then you probably can do a little bit more than that. But I agree. If we get to 20%, he's going to fight back, and it's going to be very painful. It's going to be a painful, like, I have to fold now spot. Yep. It's going to really suck. Also, you, you're going to three-bet all your reasonable hands, like two sevens. Yeah. And then he's going to shove on you, and I don't know what you're supposed to yeah, do with two sucks. sevens. That's the worst. Yeah. So that's going to really blow, and I don't know what you do there. Like, what, are you, what do you do there? You probably have to call. Uh, Maybe if it's the first time he four-bet shoves, you don't. You probably have to fold the first yeah. time and then call the second time, but that sucks too. One more little story from that before okay. we move on to this actual hand. Well, I mean, it's over like 25 minutes yeah. in, right? But, but whatever. whatever. It's fun it's story. It's Thanksgiving, and this is good. Yeah. Um, there was a time when, you know, he had been opening forever, and one of the capable players on my left says to him, man, you're really abusing that bubble, aren't you? And I say to the, that guy, Damn it, dude. I was going to three bet him next time. Now I can't. And mm-hmm. then I three bet him next time anyway. That's good. It was fun. That's super smart. Yeah. <laughs> that's super smart. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's strong. <laughs> I, I enjoyed that moment. Yeah. As soon as you said that, you knew, right? Yeah. Like you almost have to say that to three bet yeah. him now, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. So anyway. Wow. Okay. We're going to have to do this hand a little more, <laughs> a little more quickly now, but let's right. go. Right. But before we 
talk about this hand even anymore. I mean, why would we, or at all? Let's talk about a place where you might get to play against me, knowing all the ways I play on the bubble. I mean, now. so sick. We just gave it all away. Yeah. Right? Nitrogen Sports Poker Room, of course. Yeah. If you use the link in the description of this podcast when you sign up for Nitrogen, you get access to all of the Poker Guys events, which, you know, we are going to be playing in a lot of them, and that'll be fun for you to play against us. Correct. You know what? That's great. But what's even better is actually getting your money when you want it from an online poker site because that's become hard sometimes you know yeah we've all had bad experiences with that it sucks yeah. that does not happen on nitrogen it's a bitcoin only poker site and i'm not kidding when i say you get your money in five to 20 minutes that is unheard of in the poker industry it's a beautiful beautiful thing also deposits are just as fast yes that's good too Yes. So, I mean, I don't know what else to say besides get on there. I mean, it's use the good. link in the description of this podcast. So that way, when you sign up, you get access to all those cool poker guys things. Um, other things to say really quickly, they have other things going on besides just poker. They have sports betting. They have a casino. You can obviously engage in that as well. It's super fun. I do a little sports betting there just between us. Just between us. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Uh, Nobody will ever hear that. You know, get on there and get you some poker. Do it. All right. So back to the 25K bubble here. Okay. So we the have real thing under the gun. Martin Cabral was 16.3 million, a 300 K big blind. Okay. He's going to abuse that bubble. Yeah. He's got like 54 blinds. Let's yeah. go. He's going to open King nine of diamonds under the gun. Right. Which after that whole long discussion, hell yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Especially on a 25 K bubble. Yeah. Now we have Vladimir Troyanovsky who we've seen before on the breakdown. I believe we have. Yeah. He's uh, constantly playing the high rollers, and he's one of the Russian oligarchs or something. I don't know. If you recall, you used to do a pretty, pretty good Vladimir Troynovsky yeah, impression. I don't think I can conjure it right now. I'm just saying. If you have King, you call. You oh, yeah, that you one. Call. Anyway, go on. Yeah. Um, so Troynovsky's got an awkward stack for the bubble, especially when somebody's opening all the time. Now, he doesn't have enough to three bet fold, which kind of sucks. He has 7 million at yeah. 300K big blind, so 23 blinds. And he has ace queen off in the hijack. And this is immediately a crappy spot. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The big stack is opening under the gun. We know there's bubble abuse involved, but he is under the gun. Yeah. It's his tightest range. We have ace queen off. When we shove 23 blinds, we're not doing great against the calling range. No, it's we're not, doing, we're doing badly. Yeah. We're doing poorly against the calling range. This is a big bubble. What do we do? I mean, I think it's weird. I think you could actually make a case for all decisions. You can make a case for folding. I think a case for folding is reasonable. There's a case for calling and there's a case for raising. How crazy is that? I don't know what the best answer is yet. Right. So this is a hand of half measures from Torianovsky. Yes. And he chooses call. That is I, definitely the half measure. Which is the half measure. So he's like, okay, this is what I said at the beginning of the podcast. This hand is too good. It's ridiculous for me to fold, but God, I don't want to bubble right now. I don't want to move right. in and just get snapped and bubble. Like we would just fold ace jack off suit. We would re-raise ace king. Yeah. And here with ace queen, we feel like both those options kind of blow. So we're going to call. We're going to be in position. If someone three bets, maybe we fold. I don't know. Like, I don't like, I, I have a feeling it's trying to ask. We probably don't have a great plan against that either. Um, it's, it's not a great spot. I think it's okay just to fold. Yeah. That's the under the gun range. If we think that guy doesn't open all the time, if he's opening all the time, it's okay to shove. Yep. Even though the calling situation is not great because we're just going to win so often and we have significant blockers and we can get called by hands that are flips anyway. I don't think we can call base Jack, but, but like Jack's is going to call tens is going to call. Yes. And you know, we're flipping. It's fine. Um, calling is okay too, though. I don't think calling is awful, even though I agree it's a half measure. Yeah, I think it's fine. It's safe. It only costs us two blinds. We can just miss the flop and fold. That's okay. We're in position. It's okay. Like we can just 
we can just fold. If we if we've hit the flop, we're gonna have some interesting spots, right? But that's yeah. okay. That's normal poker. I think even not on the bubble, I would default with twenty three blinds just to flatting the under the gun raiser for with sure. Ace, queen and the hijack. And, unless I felt this guy was clearly abusing the bubble, which I'm gonna guess he is, as he opens king nine suited under the yeah. gun. Uh, I would probably default to calling as well. Yeah. Okay. So that's what Torinovsky does. We don't hate that so much. It's no. just we're already in just the spot where we're so like when it's not the bubble, there's a difference. Post flop, we can call on a lot of flops that we can't on the bubble. Mm-hmm. Also, like we may feel obligated to raise, like move in on a lot of flops where we're going to be in sort of game theory disaster mode. Yeah. But we feel like I just can't not win this pot now and I can't fold. And calling opens up so many things, and but every time I get snapped, I'm beat, and it, it all sucks. Which you is know. a reason just to throw your hand away. By the way, yeah. preflop, not have to deal with any of this. It there is. may be a better spot, right? But if it's like an active player who opens under the gun, and it's a deuce, deuce, four flop, I'm yeah. probably going to peel one off on the flop, in with even with twenty three blinds to start the hand. Hmm. But on the bubble, I'm not right. You yeah, know? you just throw it away. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he calls then. Mulocker, what's his name? Mulocker. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Some, Some guy, guy in the big blind seen before flats ace nine off i think he has a reasonable stack he's the garbage human we don't care about him yeah the pot is 2.35 million heading to the flop it's a good one for the old troys so we're going to call troynowski is uh, i have ace queen here yes the troysinator i have ace queen yeah he has ace queen yeah he okay. just likes talking about it he, he shouldn't say it out loud when the hand's going on but whatever it's a pretty good flop. It's queen of hearts, ten of hearts, eight of diamonds. He yep. flops top, top, although it is a relatively wet board with a lot of combos that beat him. But no question. still pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, Mulecker checks. Now, I don't imagine that even if Cabral had found an open with king nine of diamonds and he was three ways, he would bet if it wasn't the bubble. But it is the bubble. I mean, he's double gutted. It's not the end of the world. He, yeah, here. that's true. He is double gutted. But there are two hearts on the board and this board hits his opponents pretty hard. Yeah, I agree. He's under the gun, though. His range is pretty strong. It's okay to bet here. It I is. Think. With, with the equity that he has as well. I think it's okay. All right. Well, he's going to bet. He bets 1.5 into 2.35. Pretty sizable bet. I mean, he sort of immediately opens himself up to, well, if Troynovsky move raises, I can't call, though, unless, unless he raises super small, which sucks with a hand that you actually want to see a turn with. Yeah. Right? So he could check also. But it's okay to bet because we, bu- we are here to abuse the bubble, right? That's why we, that's why we attended this meeting. Yes. Yeah. Like, we might get Troynovsky to fold ace-10 here, whereas he would not otherwise. Right. You know? So this is another decision point for Troynovsky when when uh, Cabral bets $1.5 because Troynovsky, going into the flop, had uh, $6.4 million. Oh, my gosh. And how big is the pot? The pot's 2.35 plus 1.5. So 3.8. Yeah. Jeez. So we could just move in here. I mean, what? <sighs> yeah. I mean, all right. So we're never folding. We can eliminate that. We've got top, top. We called pre. We're never folding. No, can't do that. Okay. There's a lot of bad cards that yeah. we're going to hate on the turn, and we may have to find a fold with. And those cards are nines, nines jacks, jacks, kings, kings hearts. That's, is that 18? Tens, eights are not great. They're not great, but they're not as bad. An eight yeah. isn't that bad. Right. 10 isn't that bad, but not amazing. I don't know if we're going to fold if a 10 or an 8 pairs. We prefer a deuce of clubs to either of those things. Of course. But I'm saying, like, if a king comes in and Cabral bets again, we may just fold, right? Yeah. If a 9 or a jack comes and he bets, it's going to be hard to call with our stack. And a heart comes, it's going to be hard to call. Yeah. So 18 cards is a lot of the deck. It's not half the deck, but it's a huge percentage. Also, there's a guy behind us who we might just let in. You know, because it's a wet board. Yeah. I think I like moving in here, even though some, every, every time we get snapped, we're beat. 
unless the guy is king queen exactly we're uh we're snapped and beat and he may even tank with king queen he's yeah. gonna call with king queen. there's hands that he will call with that we are beating but we you know yes are in the big trouble combos against. well yeah there's the heart combos there's jack 10 9 10 those type of hands i don't think he can fold um, he may, he may not fold because he, because there's a lot of draws on the board also, right? Yeah, he's he got gets, a pair and a draw. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, we're worried about getting called, but I think, I think at this point it's time to move in. Like if, if we lose, we lose. I mean, we called with this hand. We flopped not as good as we could, but we flopped pretty darn good. We don't have that many blinds. The pot is big relative to our stack. Let's go. But this is where the bubble messes with people's heads. Yeah. Because... There's that constant fear of moving in and the guy saying, call. And you're like, right. oh, I'm out of the tournament. He opened under the gun. He's betting anyway. Like, this is a better flop for us than it is for him. He does have a strong range. He doesn't have to bet here. But what's our plan, though? We're not going to fold, right? So we're going to call, hope the other guy folds, hope a safe turn comes, have him bet again, call all in and hope we're ahead. If that's the case... I mean, I guess the good news is we capture his bluffs that way, but yeah. there's so many bad cards that we may not be able to call the all in and he can bluff us this, off it on this the pot turn. is already crazy important for us as train. And we're letting the big blind in when we don't have to. The big blind can have if the big blind has two hearts, he's going to call and it's going to be bad for us. If we move in, he can't. Right. The big blind can have King other, Jack. lots of hands that have reasonable equity against us. And it's we are thrilled to take this pot down right now. We're yeah. thrilled. We just have to move in here. I think I agree, but I think there's there's fears that creep into your head on the bubble, and one of those Absolutely. fears, if you're recognizing that Cabrell is abusing the bubble, you might think, okay, traditionally, this doesn't nail an under-the-gun range, but Cabrell might have all the two-pair combos on this board. Yeah. Cabrell might have jack-nine. You know, He could have all the hands that, that are just destroying me. I mean, the thing is, like, if he has the two-pair hands or the aces or the kings or the sets, and a clean card comes on the turn, which is what we're hoping for, we're getting it in anyway. Yeah. Right? So... We don't have to worry too much about that. The only thing we're trying to we're trying to do is capture value from bluffs in, on later streets, um, and also I guess I guess a scare card could come on the turn and he could have aces and it could go check check all the way down and then we don't lose any more and we don't get busted. Yeah, those are the two good things that can happen. But I don't know, man. I don't know if that's enough. Like when the pot is too important to win at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think we're worried about getting being able to get called by worse, but there are clearly worse hands that can call us, although they do have equity against they us. Are, yeah, and, and it's really okay to just win this pot. Yes, like, I agree. Like, a lot of times when we're doing analysis, we're talking about this getting called by worse thing, right? It's, um, it's because the players are deep, and there's implied odds issues, and there's reverse implied odds issues, and all this kind of stuff. Here, we just have one and a half times the pot, like, and we have top, top, and we need to win. Yes, so if he's got us, he's going to get us anyway is the way we can look at it. And that's not always going to be true, but it's going to be true a lot. Yeah, I think we need to move in. Yeah. So you got to move in, Vladimir. He doesn't. Yeah. It's a half measure time. Yeah. He's going to take the half measure and call again because he's like, well, I flopped too well to fold, but man, I just don't want to move in. Yeah. I mean, he definitely can't fold. The one thing he can do with calling is he can call and hope a safe card comes off on the turn and then move in, but he's getting called for sure, right? If the guy has anything. Yeah. Or the guy is going to move you in because the pot's going to, he's going to have basically a pot size bet left. Or the guy's going to check a lot of his bluffs because we called and we're going to move in. I mean, it just seems like, I don't know. I, I don't I like think, it. I think it's a pretty clear moving on the flop. Yeah, it is. Um, all right. Well, he calls Mulecker folds. We got 5.3 million in the pot going to the turn. Trinovsky has about a pot size bet remaining, a little yeah. bit less than a pot size bet remaining. Yeah, this is a real problem. 
The turn is the nine of spades, one of those cards we didn't want to see. One of the many, many cards a we didn't jack want to see. A jack now makes a straight. It's queen, ten, eight, two hearts on the flop, nine of spades in the turn. Uh, Cabral picks up a nine to go with his right. double gutter, uh, which now is kind of meaningless. It's just the one gutter mm-hmm. with the king. Uh, and Trinowski is like, well, I should have moved in. This is bad. Yeah, look, one of the 18 cards that I would hate came in. Great. I hope he checks. Hope it goes check, check all the way down now, and I win. Although, if it goes check, check all the way down, I'm often going to lose, right? Yeah. I'm often going to have me. <laughs> so, Tronowski has just over a pot size bet left. Yeah. Cabral does something interesting here. He bets less than he bet on the flop. Yeah. He bets $1.375 million. This is interesting. Yes. What's he doing? Well, I think he's trying to preserve some full equity, but not move in in case he's going to get snapped. Right. Getting snapped is bad because Trojanowski does have some jacks in his range. He's got Queen Jack and Jack Jack, Jack Jack and King Jack, and maybe King Jack of Hearts. Yeah, or X Jack Jack X of Hearts, Ace Jack and King Jack of Hearts. I guess. I mean, it's, it's Cabral, not too many jacks. Cabral's leaving himself an easy bet fold spot. I guess. I mean, clearly, right? Yeah. Um, and he's still, but there's, and then there's also the threat of a shove on the river still, even though it's going to be for like half pot on the river, but still, yeah. it's the bubble, right? And you know. But so I think he's betting to hopefully fold out some of the more marginal hands that Troynovsky can have, which is a lot of hands. Yeah, but I mean, any one pair of hand does not like this card. Nope. Troynovsky has two aces and was slow playing. He does not like this card. Correct. He's not going to fold, but he sure hates this card. Yeah. Ace-queen, similar. Does not yeah. like this card, obviously. So what do we think about this bet by Cabril? Um, so that's what he's doing. It seems pretty obvious, right? He's bet yeah. folding. He obviously doesn't have real, but he knows he doesn't have value here. He knows the nine is almost never good. Um, the one thing he is doing, he's giving hearts the right price to continue, yeah. which is a little weird, but you don't think Troynovsky's ever just going to call with hearts on the flop. He's almost always just going to move in, right? Like that's more of a raising spot than a calling I spot. I don't know. It's hard to know with Troynovsky. Okay. I would assume though, if I was Cabral without knowing Troynovsky's, the fact I would expect him to move in with this hand too, yeah. I guess. But I would expect a normal player in this spot, a normal reasonable player in this spot would have raised would just move in on the flop with hearts because they want to make sure they get paid and they want the fold equity, you know, even though it's the bubble. I would just expect that. So it's hard. For, like if we bet 1.3 million on the turn, hearts may move in on the turn. I don't know. I don't think we have to worry too much about if a heart comes on the river for uh, Cabrill. Anyway. I think maybe maybe Cabrill's thought process is as simple as this. The way Tronowski's played it, He's got a lot of one pair hands in his range, and this might be enough to make them fold in this situation anyway. Why risk more when he's going to snap me with all the straights, obviously? Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is a very tough spot for Ace Queen right. on this turn, right? Although it's not as tough as it sounds because what's his face doesn't have that many jacks. Yeah. And what, but once we say this, I think I prefer a move in from Cabral because it's about a pot size bet. Troyanowski is going to fold so, so often. We want him to fold. Here's, here's my only thought on that. Okay. If Cabrell is playing these a lot, and I, I did look at his uh, Hendon Mob page, he plays a lot of high rollers. Mm-hmm. He may feel like, and this is a very particular spot, so maybe it doesn't come up enough, but he may feel like every time he has a, a straight in this situation, he never would move the guy in on the bubble, ever in a million yeah. years. So he's just trying to bet, he's trying to be consistent with how he would actually play it because he knows these guys are paying attention and they're playing, they're going to play a lot more high rollers together over over time. And so since he'd never move in on the bubble with, his, with the jack in his hand, he can't, he can't move him in. That's reasonable. That's the only thing I got. But it, yeah, it's not crazy. So he bets 1.3 million like he figures he really would with King Jack. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. 
I think moving in is probably more effective anyway. I agree. But then he gets to think like, well, this is how I play a Jack. And every time Troynovsky has me crushed here and has a straight himself, he moves in and I get to save the 4 million or 3 million or whatever it is. I don't know. I'm not saying it's perfect or even ideal, but I get it at least. Yeah. I don't hate it. I understand it from a theoretical perspective. Yeah. From a realistic perspective, I think moving in is probably more plus EV. Yeah, I think you're probably right. In terms of just this moment. Yeah. As opposed to the iterated nature of poker, right? Yeah. Where it's like, if you're playing against these guys for the long haul, you may feel like it's more plus EV to, to make this bet now at 1.3 yeah. million. True. But fair enough. Okay, so now Trainovsky's in a bit of a spot. Yeah. He's getting such a price. Insane level price. But he has a hand that can't really improve against what our opponent is repping. Right. Right. So... Because we got to believe if our opponent had two pair, he would check with the intention of calling a shove. Not probably. Bet, or not bet himself. Usually, right? Usually. Because betting this much and have Troynovsky shoving him puts two pair in a yucky spot. But check calling a shove leaves Troynovsky's range much more open. And yes. we, could, we could still have the best hand. So, yeah. I, yeah, I think Cabral is mostly repping a straight when he bets, even though it's such a small bet. Yeah, I agree. So Troynovsky is just playing okay is this guy abusing the bubble or does he have me right and uh it sucks because we don't have any it's not like if we hit a queen we feel great about calling the river any, anyway yeah there's matter. no card that's going to come that we're going to feel great about just cards we're going to feel bad about yeah so another poopy spot how many we still have 6.3 million right uh no oh, what do we have now no we do not we have let's see it was 7 million then it was 6.4 then it was another 1.5 so, so we have 5.9 no, you said it was 6.4. Yeah, he had 6.4. Oh, right. 4.9. 4.9 million. So we still have... No, that's wrong. 16 blinds? I don't know. It's wrong. Because I know what Troynovsky has after after the turn. So, Well, you can tell us. It's okay. Uh, he's going to have 4.3 million after he calls the turn. Okay, so he's going to have 5.6 million or yeah. so. Okay. He has 5.6 million right now. Okay. So it means he's got like 19 blinds. Yeah. Okay, this is another candidate to just fold. It's, it's another time when we can absolutely fold, even though it's cheap and we're getting a great price. Like, what do we think? What, what do you think is going to happen on the river? What good things can happen on the river? I don't know. I really wish we moved it on the flop or, Me too. or folded preflop. Yeah. Or re-raised preflop. Yeah. That's, that would have even been okay. But this is now this half measure thing is it's like Walt, you know, halfway through breaking bad, you know, like it don't work, man. You, <laughs> you need Mike, Mike Ermintrout to tell you like, you know, you got to kill the domestic abuser. You can't let him back in. Yeah. You can't let him because he ends up killing the wife, right? Right. This is a very particular reference, but I figure most people get it. Most um, people, huh? Yeah. Everyone's watched Breaking Bad. Okay. Anyway, let's not get you know dragged down with that one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the half measure thing, this is really, we, we are now in what is going to a poopy spot. And if we call, it's going to be poopier still. We have to imagine that a move-in is coming on the river pretty much every time, right? If I would call. think so. I would think Whether so. Whether or not he has it, he's moving in on the river. Right. He's moving in if he has a straight. He's moving in if he um, has nothing. He's moving in with almost everything he has. So, so should we just be calling all rivers if we call now? We or? don't have to do that. No, we can call some rivers and not all rivers because there's things that would get completed. Yeah, there's right? a flush draw out there. Like a jack could come and now a king has a beat. Um, as it turns out, that would beat us too. There's, if a heart comes, we could but fold, but we could call in a lot of other things. What's the difference when a jack comes with a king having us beat? Oh, actually, that's actually there's going to be a straight on the board then too, right? Yeah. So then we can't fold because it would right. be absurd to give up half Also, a jack has us beat now. What's the difference if the card changes? 
Oh, um, because that would be a thing. Because then we could be, well, we'd be chopping with the jacks anyway, I guess. So yes, then we're chopping there. All right. Well, I was thinking that like um, Cabrell might be continuing with his gut shot, which it turns out he is, but he yes. has a pair too. But might be continuing with his gut shot on the turn is one of the things he, he probably doesn't continue with his entire range. But he's continuing with his jack on the turn is one of the things he continues with anyway. Yeah. So there's no difference. Which whichever one card straight has a speed, it doesn't matter. Well, correct, correct. Yeah, that's all. Okay. Um, Hearts, I could see an argument for maybe that's a, a game changer a little bit. Maybe Cabral's trying to keep his hearts alive. Cabral uh, would move in on the turn with. Yeah, hearts. you would think he would. He would just be like, forget. It. I'm not going to bet this much in fold, so I'm just going to move you in, and it's your problem. Yeah. So I actually, I don't think we have to worry about hearts at all. I mean, whatever. Maybe of not. course, there's some. Sometimes he's going to have hearts and play like this, but I think in general, hearts are going to be a move. All right. All this to say, this decision is being made on the turn, right? Like the river decision is pretty much being made on the turn. Yeah, we could decide. There's a few cards we're going to fold to, although I don't know what they are now yeah, that we're yeah, talking what, about. What would they be? It's really hard to come up with anything. It's either bubble abuse or it's not. It's not about the cards anymore, almost. Right, because he bet the turn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just don't like being in this spot at all, and I would probably find a fold on the turn. Yeah. If I was, if I had gotten this far, which I wouldn't, I would not have. I would have right. moved it on the flop for sure. So I don't have to deal with any of this. Um, and sometimes I get snapped and I'm out, and I would say, "Well, that was unlucky. That's really too bad. The flop came that way. I guess I could have just folded pre and think about that, you know." Yeah. Um, but this is much worse. <laughs> <laughs> this very murky spot now, where we're going to hate. There's no card that can come that we're going to feel good about it, and he's moving in a huge percentage of the time. Yeah. And I guess we're just if we call the turn, we have to close our eyes and call on pretty much every river, right? Yeah. Pretty think, much every river. I think so. And sometimes the river will hit him in some wonky way and we'll be like, well, damn it, that sucks. But like, we couldn't have known. Yeah. Right. Maybe we hope he makes a pair on the river and checks. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the whole goal. I mean, that's where we're at. I mean, it's so brutal. Well, Trinovsky calls. Yeah. That can't be right. It can't be. We have to fold. Pot's now 8.1 million. Like, we're clearly afraid of the money bubble as Trinovsky. That's yeah. why we're playing it this way. Cool. Then frickin' fold and don't put yourself in the spot where you're almost never going to be able to call a shove on the river. Or, sorry, or you're going to auto-call a shove on the river no matter what. I mean, like, I don't like it. Pot's 8.1 so million. Maybe we think this guy's so abusive, we're just going to call all shoves on the river. Cool. Okay, you know what? That's okay. If the plan is just to call all shoves on the river, then I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, I agree. Okay. That must be the plan. River's the three of hearts. 8.1 million in the pot. It's not the greatest card. It does bring the hearts just in case Cabral might have played hearts like this. That sucks. And maybe, you know what? I was saying he would always move in on the turn with hearts, but remember before I was saying he would always bet this much on the turn because that's how much he bet with a jack. Maybe he's even betting that with hearts and he's just calling off with hearts. Yeah. Well, then that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not 100, but I would still think mostly he's just going to move us in on the turn with hearts. I think Cabral should have moved him in on the turn with anything. Yeah. Much. Okay. Um, so Trinowski's got 4.3 million left, 8.1 mm -hmm. in the pot. Cabral has not improved. Still got a pair of nines, which yeah. is, you know, never ahead of Trinovsky, pretty much. No, after he goes call, call. Yeah. And, those, and, and uh, this run out, there's no way. Cabral, as expected, moves Trinovsky in. I mean, this feels like a super obvious move in from Cabral's point right. of view. Right. And this is what I'm saying. Trinovsky needed to make his decision on the turn. Mm -hmm. Sometimes Cabral gets there with hearts. So be it. We made our decision on the turn. We right. can't call the turn and fold the river when it's clearly a spot where Cabral is either abusing the bubble or he's not. Right. Right. We either already beat or we're not beat. 
and that's it. There's some hands that Cabral might check the river with that have us beat, and we can check back. Right. Like, he could have two pair and check the river, and we're like, okay, I check back, and I lose, but I still have my chips left. Right. He's not going to move in with those hands, maybe. Mm-hmm. Be, which makes sense. Yeah. Right? He's got a jacker better here when he moves in. Uh, yeah, I agree. Jacker better. He's got a, he's got a straighter. He's got a flush. That's it. Yeah. He's not going to move in with a set, I don't think. I don't think... Maybe you could justify moving in with a set because of the way Trinovsky played the hand. It's also only half pot. And you're like, I just want to get value from all his heroes. He's just going to hero me anyway. And every time I'm beat, he's moving in. He's always moving in with a straight, right? Always. Uh, So maybe we decide. I don't think with a two pair we're going to move in, though. I agree. I don't think two pairs are good move in. Trinovsky can absolutely have two pair and check it back. All right. So this is a crappy spot. We're now in the crappiest of crappies. We played all the half measures all the way, and look at us now. Well, we if have... we throw our chip in right away, I would say, all right, Troyanovsky, you did it. Like, fair enough. You had your plan. It, was, it wouldn't have been my plan, but you decided this guy is just a serious bubble abuser, and you're going to close your eyes and call on pretty much any run out once you flop top, top. Fine. Like, okay. I respect that. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't have taken that line, but I'm cool with that line. Yeah. So it's, a bit, he... it's a bit higher variance. Yeah. A little ballsier than, than the levy line. So I assume he did that. Nope. Oh, he's tanking for he a tanks? while. Okay, so he didn't do that. No, and then he then he then he folds. What? <laughs> yeah, then he just folds. I don't. We, can you explain that? Because we just did this whole thing. He about, thought he thought it was would be bad to lose on the bubble. So right, he folded. Yeah. Okay, so one of the things we spent a lot of time talking about in the beginning before we even got to this hand is you can know what the right play is, but struggle to make it on the bubble. Yes, right? and maybe that's happening even to Troyanovsky even in this spot. Yeah. Like he knows he's not really supposed to just call the flop or he knows he's supposed to, if he calls the turn, he's really supposed to call the river, but it's one thing to think that logically. It's another thing to actually get yourself to do it sometimes. Right. Yeah. The moment can take you over a little bit on, on the bubble. It really just messes with people. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting thing. I I feel like personally, I vacillate between being a little too careful and, maybe almost reckless at times in these spots because I don't want to be the guy who's like cowed by it. Yeah. So I'm like, you know what? I call. Let's go. I call. Yeah. Like, fine. Like, bust me. It's fine. Like, show me you got it because I'm not going to be the guy who's like, I'm not going to let this moment be bigger than me. Like, and in some ways it's good to have that in your arsenal, but in other ways it'd be nice for it to be really measured and perfect instead of maybe a little more like random, which is what I feel like it sometimes is with <laughs> yeah. me <laughs> between yeah. us. And we don't like the way Trainowski played this hand, but like I said at the beginning, I've taken half measures on the bubble before. Of Known in hindsight that I made big mistakes. Yeah. It's just hard not to let yourself do that sometimes. Well, I think us and maybe our, our listeners can maybe make a, uh, a decision about this and let's see how we do with it. But like, okay. Um, like when you, when you, when we had the, uh, the final table experience recently at the circuit event and you were telling me about Scott abusing the bubble like this, I said, I'm going to start doing that. Like, forget it. I want to do that from now on. Like, I want to be that guy. I don't want to be the the guy who's not abusing the bubble and getting abused. I want to be the abuser. (laughs) So much better. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I've not, I've played very few tournaments since then. I played a few more at that, at this, at the circuit of events and I haven't played since. Um, But I'm looking forward to being that spot. And my plan is to just open a ridiculous amount of hands basically and see what happens. And, but basically be uncowed. It. As long as I have, you know, 30 blinds or something, I'm just going to go nuts. Yep. Maybe Sounds even like less, maybe 25 blinds, 20 blinds even. Like, just go for it. Sounds like a good plan. Like, who cares if I if it doesn't work out? Like, like 
it's so easy to get caught up in the this tournament matters so much instead of like how I play in this spot in the next thousand tournaments I play matters so much really right you know? but it's more it's more than that though and you know this like especially live bubbles are way worse than online bubbles of course it's just because you're especially when you're traveling you know you're in a spot an unfamiliar spot yeah. you're gonna go have dinner with your friends and be all fucking oh I did it now this is my turn to say the word um, we're gonna leave it again for Thanksgiving's sake okay <laughs> gonna be all upset you know and so there's like life EV that goes beyond just the money that you're losing because it's one of the biggest EV spots in the tournament until you get deeper in the tournament, right? There's the life EV of like, well, the rest of my night's kind of going to feel crappy if I bubble here. Mm. You know, there's that whole feeling. Right. But maybe, maybe you can, and I say you, I mean the Royal, you, all of us can get past that by deciding this is how I play. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so just like on the bubble, if I go out because I had aces against someone's Kings and I get busted, on some level, I'm like, that sucks and whatever. But I don't feel crappy about it all night. I feel like there's nothing I could have done about that. You know, all right, but we've all been there. Maybe not necessarily in the bubble, but let's give it the bubble. Okay. Where you and I are in the same tournament, or you and your buddies are in the same tournament, in an unfamiliar place. Yeah. You know, a city you're not from. You're in a casino. Mm-hmm. You're in a hotel. You're staying in a hotel or an Airbnb or something. And your buddies make it past the bubble, and you bubble. You, that dinner alone is no fun. <laughs> that is a bad time. It's not, it's not awesome, that's for sure. Um, and you know, I'll say this, like for me and not that I had, I don't think I had any stack issues on the bubble. I don't even remember how that bubble went honestly anymore. Um, for me on, in that particular tournament, but, uh, I had whiffed a number of tournaments in a row at that point. Like yeah. it, I had been on a bit of a losing streak and it was really nice. Not, and we both went, you know, we both went really deep in that tournament and did very well. Um, and I don't know. I feel like that plays into it also. So like you're on the road, you don't want to be the only guy, but, and actually all our friends made that tournament. Like yeah. we all made the money in that, which was cool. But like also this thing of like, gosh, I just would like to make the money one time. You know, it's been so long. Now, I don't think I was even thinking that cause I wasn't short enough where it was an issue, but it may have played into some of my decisions, even like on a, on a more subconscious level. Right. So in a microcosmic way, the bubble is the time when the, the meta factors are the most poignant, I think. When, I like that. Yeah. So in live poker, there are so many meta factors involved, like where you are, what you're going to do if you bust, all, all of these things that kind of shouldn't play into how you play. And as professionals, we try not to let them seep into how we play, but obviously we're not perfect and it's impossible to, to never let that seep into anything, yeah. right? And the bubble is where that is the most magnified. Sure. I mean, I hear that. I mean, I think it's different for everyone. So like you talk about the dinner alone thing, that isn't as, that isn't as big a deal for me as some of the other pieces. But I think when you, the sum of all of them are probably similar. You know what I mean? Right. Where like some of the meta factors still like change my behavior, which is what matters. Right. right? I mean, I don't necessarily just mean dinner alone, but just <coughs> let me paint a picture for you. This has happened to you. This has happened to me. It's happened to everybody. But okay. this is like my experience. You know, we're traveling. We're in some city. It's like, let's say it's you, me, and, and our friend Robbie, who we often travel with. Yeah. Right. Jonathan and Robbie are doing great in the tournament. I bust the tournament at 3 p.m. Yeah. And when people are playing tournaments, time is meaningless to them, right? It feels like nothing is any time. And I'm, you know, trying to find things to do, play a little cash, get bored, go eat, get bored, you know, have a few beers in the room, watch a show or two. All of a sudden, it's 11.30 p.m. They're coming in, bagging for day two, all excited and talking and stuff. And I'm just sitting there, having been there all day, just like, ugh, why can't I be that? You know, it's such a better <laughs> spot. <laughs> I hear you. Um, but maybe there's another way to think about it, too. Okay. Which is this. You can't truly be great 
if you're like that. And I mean, when I, I say you, but I mean me, I mean all of us, right? Right, I agree. We can't be great. We can only be good if we don't, like, it is such an extraordinary situation which happens in every poker tournament and the great players go for that. And like, I remember um, Greg Raymer. This was also the final table bubble, the main event. But he was, he was like the slight chip leader with 10 left. And by the time they actually got to nine left, he was the overwhelming chip leader because he just massively abused the bubble. That bubble. It's a different bubble, but it's yeah. in some ways more important to people. Than, I, think, than, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's just something like, like these people, and, and Joe McKeon is another example, right? These guys ended up winning the main event and in some ways are legendary. Like they, their pictures are going to be up in the World Series of Poker forever. And sure. They won all this money and they, they have all these, these great things that have happened for them, right? Now, also, they just won a tournament and that's cool. And, uh, that, and that's, I don't want to make it too big a thing. They're not legends like Phil Ivey or Phil right. Youth or something like that. But, but there's something about the willingness to be great which I feel like a lot of us, and I include myself in this, don't always live up to. And this is part of that. I, yeah, I agree. And I'm not saying that I make all these terrible decisions based on those things and that I always am like making these. Sure. I'm, just, I'm just trying to outline the ultimate fear, of the course. ultimate meta fear. Of course. No, these are the things that, that prey on us, right? Yeah. When, we're, when you're sitting there and you're thinking like, I should raise, I, I'm going to three bet him the next three times. And then you don't, or I sit there and I'm like, if this guy opens, I'm just going to move in on him. And then I don't, you know, right. and, and obviously we do sometimes also like, I mean, for me, a, a proud moment was in the monster stack on date late in day two, where I cold four bet all in for 30 blinds with ACE 10 in a spot, you know, and it felt like the right spot. And I put my entire life on the line for it, you know, and I won 11 blinds, you know, without a showdown. And it was right. amazing. And that would, but that was a big deal. And I felt like I, I felt like I actually grew as a player in that moment or right after that moment. Cause I was like, I saw it, I thought about it and I actually pulled the trigger instead of like seeing it and thinking, maybe this is a good spot and thinking, Oh, I can do better. Like there'll be more opportunities. And like, I, it's easy to say there's going to be more good spots, but they're also, they're also like the spots are the spots, you know, and sometimes you got to take what's in front of you. Right. So, and I use that as like a positive example. Believe me, I have lots of negative examples of me not pulling the trigger. I just sure. I'm not saying them right now. Um, it's harder to think of those, but trust me, those have happened lots. Like that, I was I was proud because I did it that time. Like that tells you something, right? Yeah. Um, not that a lot of people called for a bet <laughs> their no. lives for thirty fines with ace ten, but whatever. Uh, so I don't know. I feel like there's there's got to be a willingness to just um, to die and and not and to and to be great and right. And, and these, these things which prey on us, like slow us down and, and drag us down and make it harder. But, right. I, but that's, that's the thing. Poker's an emotional game and poker's played by humans and everyone has to deal with this stuff. And I'm sure Scott, even though he's opening every hand, he may feel comfortable because the stakes are low for him. Yeah. Right. You know, it's a $365 buy-in tournament. First place is 25K. He finished 13th in the main event for, I don't know, 300, 500K, something like that. I think right? it was 550. Yeah. Um, so it's not a big deal. But he still cares. Of course. And I'm sure he's not feeling great. Like every time you would like not fold, look at your hand and not fold right away. He's thinking, oh boy, here we go. Again. Right. No, of course. And it's relatively small stakes for us as well. Yes. And it's just, it's not about that necessarily. That's part of it, but it's not all about that. And to be clear, Jonathan and I have both been traveling for poker for many years, going to many tournaments. And over that, like 
at the beginning of that, I was definitely way more affected by these meta factors. Like even before I met Jonathan, when I would travel with our other friend Robert, when I was 21 years old, they fa- they affected me a lot. Sure, I didn't also because I didn't have a lot of money. That was part of it. But at this point, you know, it's it's been so many years, so many situations have come up again and again and again. I don't really feel the way I used to feel in that moment when. Robbie and Jonathan come in the door bagging and I've been drinking for eight hours in the room alone. I feel fine. I feel happy for them. It's different now, Mm. but all that got me through it was experience. You know, all that got me to that point was experience. And sometimes that's all you need. But for those listeners out there who don't necessarily have all that experience, maybe take something from this, try to learn from it, even though it's hard without the actual experience for yourself. It's hard because it's one thing to think about it and understand what you're supposed to do. And as we're saying, it's another thing to actually do it. Yeah. But for, I'm actually going to like try and hold on to that, you know, like, Great players act this way kind of thing. I remember one time I was playing cash at the World Series of Poker. This is like eight years ago or something like that. Seven years ago. And I remember I, I, had like, I opened with ace-jack. I had the ace of spades. And I flopped a jack-high board, all spades. And I bet. And this old guy who's didn't seem like he was bluffing made a big raise. And I remember really not knowing what to do. And I thought about, like, I was, I was there with my friend Matt Matros, who you sometimes hear me talk about, triple bracelet winner, uh-huh. Matt Matros. And I thought, what would Matros do in this situation? I was like, oh, Matros would move in for sure. I was like, all right, I'm all in. And the guy tanked forever, showed his hand to the people next to him and folded. And then he got up and left the table. And the people wouldn't tell him what he had, but they couldn't believe he folded. <laughs> they said he folded an incredibly strong hand. So it was like a set or a, or a worse flush or something insane like that. And my point is not like, cool, I got a, a guy to fold a better hand, but more I tried to like think not what would I do, because this is back when my move would have been not to not to move in. Yeah. My, you know, I thought, what would someone better than me do? And maybe that's a way for me to think about it, too. What would a great player do here? You know, not sure. what would I do? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just trying to like find ways to inspire myself to make some different decisions in some moments. Well, we went a lot of different places in I this know. podcast. Gobble, gobble, man. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Yeah, we. This is is this our longest podcast ever? No, there's probably I think there's like a 105 one okay. that we did one time. Still, this was like we really went for it. Yeah, but we talked about the hand for about 18 minutes. I know. Well, we yeah. talked about the the factors behind it, and though. that's fun sometimes. And the truth is, a lot of times when we do hands, the stuff is we feel is either is elementary or stuff just to work out mathematically and you know argue sure. about or whatever. This is like a much more like personal emotional piece. And that's the only reason why Troynovsky plays the hand this way. And that's, absolutely. And, and it's, I appreciate that we both like sort of recognize that it's not just Troynovsky who's weak. Right. Like, we feel that too. And most people feel it. Right. And if you tell yourself you don't, maybe you don't and you're like a stone cold badass or you're lying to yourself and all your friends. I mean, feel free to lie to yourself. It's just yeah. going to cost you money. Right. Like, that's fine too. But yeah. I mean, I like to think of myself as not cowed by things, but of course I am to some degree. Right? Everybody has their yeah. things. Yeah. All right. Happy Thanksgiving. We're done. You're not going to show every single MC how it's done right. Every time I come by, I'm bound to leave them so tired. I'm sipping on liquor, a quitter is what I'm not. We got one life. And I took a minor break, but I'm back to claim the throne. I'm going to be traveling the globe. We still have time to make it home. And you're going to meet the doctor.